You are listening to a brand new series to First Team Podcast called First Team Podcast Extra Time with your host, John Frusciante and former professional soccer player in the United States and for the Barbados national team, Kiso Broom. Welcome back to another edition of First Team Podcast Extra Time. I'm joined once again by Kiesel Broom. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about a whole uh, bunch of different uh, topics here. And the first one is that I believe last week, uh, at the end of our conversation, you brought up that uh, one of your friends, I believe, was playing with Lansdowne Boys, right? Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, and um, I got told because we posted an article on first team podcast and uh the article was about that uh current and former cosmos players are playing in the cosmopolitan soccer league they're playing in the epsl which is another grassroots soccer league and the big story was that these current soccer players are playing amateur soccer and i got told on social media and via text that why wasn't the story that these players are making that type of money right these are amateur leagues why don't you run with that story why is that not the headline but the reason is is because not all of these players are either one money hungry or they're able to command that $500 fee yeah people want to uh, survive and 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 make money right but not everyone can command that amount of money, even in amateur soccer. And I hope um, some soccer fans that don't understand that about the game, I hope they do finally understand that uh, some players need to make the money to survive because they're not making a living wage. And then there's some players that are making a living wage or something close to it, and they want to just stay fit, like you said, and they want to prepare for their next opportunity whenever that will come because at the moment in u.s soccer and i did want to ask you this question i know you only spent i think it was one season with the new york cosmos but uh, throughout your career were you waiting year to year was life or was your career a roller coaster in that sense to where you couldn't plan for your next year maybe with your family with your girlfriend you know what i mean was it hard to plan in that sense um off season was it was a, yeah. it was the waiting game. Literally, it's what it was. Yeah, Every off yeah. season was the waiting game because obviously you had your agent, you know, speaking to different clubs and finding who was interested and things like that. But it was just always waiting, waiting, waiting for when you were going to get the call, and then just being accessible and available and ready to go. So in between in between New York and Harrisburg, you know, technically it was a four month wait. You know what I'm saying? And waiting to figure out who was interested not interested maybe go here maybe go there and then from Harrisburg to Pittsburgh it was more of I knew what was coming because of conversations previously so I knew that like Pittsburgh was somebody that was interested in me already just from the how the games that I played against them um, and at that point it was just me kind of taking the bull by the horns and not having or not being able to go through that same offseason experience I had last time so I was like I knew what I wanted um trying to see if we can come to agreement in terms of that yeah because um i think a lot of fans just don't understand that one and uh i think that's the sad reality of u.s soccer is that 
players have to live that paycheck to paycheck. You said on the program, we're not going to repeat this, but you had to drive for Uber, right, uh, on the match day. Because a professional player is someone that uh, is making enough money that you can dedicate your body to your trade. It's a 365 days a year job. It's not just a four to six month job, right? And uh, that's why you need and all of the professional soccer players in the United States they need to be receiving a living wage. It was tough because sometimes it was even the night before. You know, I was up yeah. till three, four o'clock in the morning. You know, on the weekend, uh, and then I kid you not, there. Were, I remember there were games like 60th, 65th minute. I was just absolutely just gassed. You know, and I'm trying to like find any type of like energy booster that I could just to get me through the game. But like, it was tough. It was really tough um, just to try to be physically and mentally there. You know, that was probably one of the hardest things. Reno 1868 of the USL, they announced on November 6th, and this is probably a little bit of an old news piece, uh, but we are still going to run with it. We are still going to discuss this, that Reno 1868, they have ceased their operations. So I think just as a soccer fan and you, Kiesel, as a former professional soccer player, we don't want to see this happen. Even if I don't like the USL or if I'm not a massive fan or if I'm a Cosmos fan, right, I still... Don't want to see clubs going out of business because I don't want to see my Cosmos go out of business as well because I know what that means as a fan and what that means to my community, right? And as a professional soccer player, that means less jobs. Right. Yeah, and that 100% it means less jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's surprising to me that Reno went under just because they do have that um, affiliation with San Jose and the MLS. So I was kind of confused by that. But I do have a few people that um lived there um that played for the team and you know they were you know i haven't talked to them specifically since the announcement come out came out but i knew that it was a tough situation with some of the players with the living and things like that so it's never um never never easy uh when a club falls because i guess less jobs available and things like that that's the reality of that one and it's really sad because in the press release they try to say that uh, it wasn't directly COVID-19, but their quote at the end of their press release, uh, they said that uh, before the pandemic, the exact quote is that this prospect for 1868 FC was difficult pre-COVID-19, but in a prolonged pandemic, it became unrealistic. So I think that's the sad part is that during a pandemic, during a time when business has to change, I think the sports world, it's very hard for them to change, right? Because they rely on sponsors and people coming to their stadium, as in the fans. And if they can't gather, if they have to social distance, if they have to do all of that, then the club is not going to make any money. And then these smaller leagues, these lower leagues, they don't have broadcast deals. So there's no greater revenues coming in unless you're one of those bigger clubs. Yeah, I mean, and that's the difference between the MLS and USL because the USL, these are everyone is their own private entity, right? Uh, you know, the Charleston Battery, the you know the Reno's, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, all these guys are their own private clubs, and if they can't manage it, they cease operation, and the league doesn't can't do anything. They really help them. There's no kind of bailout for them. You know, what I'm saying it's strictly just based on the owners that they can afford it. Right. That's the, that's the biggest thing with the MLS. The same thing goes with all major sports across the U.S. If a team's struggling, they still have the backing of the league to keep them afloat. 
that's no problem. Or you would have seen probably the Cleveland Browns fold years ago. You know what I'm saying? Or something like that because of how, how bad they were. Attendance was down and things like that. So it's, that's one thing with the USL. Though. Like these owners, you know, they're coming out of their own pockets to make this all work and not having that the ticket sales revenue and the jersey sales and the, the in-game purchases that makes a huge difference to their pocket and their bottom line. During the NASL days, I'm not sure if you are aware of this, but at times the league and the member clubs, their owners, they would prop up the the clubs that were struggling, right? So they were able to say, hey, let's raise a certain amount of money throughout the ownership groups throughout the league, and they would try to uh, sustain a club for a season or two until they could find maybe outside investment or local investment in that marketplace. But it seems like the USL doesn't want to do that. It, it, it sort of seems like they're strong enough and there's so much interest and there's, uh, I guess, clubs that might be coming in, right, in expansion clubs that they don't have the need or the will to want to save clubs, which I think is really sad. And I hope NISA, I really hope NISA, even if they have 20 clubs or if they have 30 clubs and if there are clubs struggling, that they would try to work hard day and night to save those clubs because without those clubs you don't have that league you don't have that fan base and things like that because even one club going that's fans not supporting a a soccer team in that market anymore you know what i mean and people are going to hate on me for saying that because there's not just usl there's not just mls there's a whole bunch of different soccer going on if the cosmos went out of business tomorrow i would probably not support a New York City soccer club. It's not that I won't. I will not. I would not support NYCFC. I would not support the New York Red Bulls. So I feel their pain there. There are certain markets that don't have a second, third, fourth team to where they can even contemplate that decision. No, 100% right. I mean, listen, if you look, I mean, even I think from my time in the USL, teams that aren't there anymore, Rochester Rhinos cease to exist. Harrisburg City Islanders cease to exist. Um, where else is there? I think there's one or two other clubs that, you know, were mainstays in USL are just no longer there anymore, you know? And a lot of that has to come down to just kind of the, the bottom line in terms of what the owners can and cannot pay. And, you know, to be fair, a, a, a lot of clubs that do survive are the ones that have academy systems because the academy system kind of funds the first team to begin with. So it's, you know, clubs like that where, like the Rochester Rhinos won the US Open Cup, I think, back in 99. They'll be in a couple of MLS clubs on the way. You know, now they're just a team that just no longer exists, right? And they don't play or anything like that. And um, more, you'll see that more and more, um, especially if the, this the pandemic continues the way that it's doing. I mean, Philadelphia just uh, came out, I think, the other day and everything's shutting back down on Friday. You know what I'm saying? So there's no fans in the stands whatsoever, no matter what the sporting event. And is that so, in Pennsylvania? or That was strictly just in the Philadelphia area. Um, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh just came out today, and they're having a stay-at-home order, which is not mandatory. Oh, so okay, nothing okay. in terms of that just yet. But mm-hmm. uh, on, the, on the eastern side of the state, no fans are going to be allowed at the Eagles game for the next couple of weeks at least, I think to the end of the year. Um, yeah. I'm going to assume that's going to apply to college basketball, NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, the Philadelphia Union won't be able to have any fans as well because they did have some at the end of the season. So those are all things that are going to play into a part, and that's less revenue coming in. And that's the shocking thing is that 
I know we definitely don't want to get into that COVID-19 conversation, but it has to creep into our everyday lives, right? Um, when it, it comes to business and things like that, it's like here in New York City, they're going to close down schools tomorrow. And as you guys hear this, citywide New York City schools are going to be closed down, right? And that's a massive thing because if people can't go to school, maybe people have to stay home. Like you were saying, they're not mandatory stay-at-home order. That trickles down to sports and other entertainment industries to where they have to be on pause when it comes to trying to generate more money in revenues, which it's not great uh, because in some sports, players are on big wages and those owners have to try to sustain those as well. I think in a sad way, it's sort of thankful that soccer doesn't have those big wages in the lower divisions because I think we will probably see or we would probably see if that was the case a lot more clubs going under. Yeah, I think I think this coming season, you'll see a lot of players, and obviously I don't know the, the numbers, but a mm-hmm. lot of players' contracts getting restructured just because if everything's going the way that it's going, not having fans in the stands is going to be an issue in terms of revenue, so you're not going to be able to pay the players maybe as much as they want to be paid just because there's just not that money there. When you were playing professionally, and I know maybe they didn't put this in your contract because uh, when you were with the New York Cosmos, you were playing in the MPSL squad, right? Um, But the question is, is that do you know of players that had uh, maybe player rights? So, for example, the player image rights. So, for example, if they had their jersey sold so many times, if they were a bigger name player, right? Uh, when you were with the Cosmos, they had Raul, Marco Senna. Do you know if players like that had maybe something built into their contract that said that they would get a certain percentage from their image rights? Gosh, I, I personally, I do not know that. Maybe but, not Raul, right? But I guess just people in U.S. soccer. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. one of the biggest things is for us, I mean, for players, it's just like, hey, if you're, um, mm-hmm. if you're performing at a high level, yeah, and there's jerseys being sold and things like that. Yeah, but no players are getting a cut of it. I feel like that's an issue. You know what I'm saying? I think it's yeah. a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a problem because like it's like in college. Like uh, these colleges, I mean, these college kids are making uh, the colleges are making so much money on the bowl games and March Madness and things like that, and people are buying these jerseys with a name and number on the back, yeah, and they're not yeah. getting any compensation. But I think that's wrong, hundred percent. So I don't, from my understanding, no, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's getting any type of cut in yeah. terms of jerseys or anything like that. Yeah, that's very shocking if that's true, right? Uh, if players yeah. are, are not getting anything. But I guess the owners, right? The owners would probably say, well, hey, we pay our guys. We pay them a wage. They're working for us. And that's how we generate a revenue. That's how they generate some money. And I guess the players would probably say, well, hey, that's our name. That's our brand. That's worth something. We should get a wage for that. But I guess it can go both ways. 